Before I begin my homily, I just would like to uh, inform you, my, my brothers here at St. My brothers and sisters here at St. Hyacinth's that for the season of Advent, which is coming up very soon, uh, I'd like to extend the amount of time that I'm in the confessional, and uh, I might, I might uh, just extend this past the Advent season, but for this Advent, I'm going to be taking Thursdays, and I'm going to be in the confessional in the mornings and in the evenings. Uh, in the morning, I'll be at St. Francis in the confessional from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock when Mass starts. And I hope the 7 o'clock is early enough for people who, who are working. Uh, that's my goal, that's my, my intention. And then in the evening, I'll be here at St. Hyacinth in the back, right over there in the corner, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock p.m., uh, all throughout Advent. Um, and then possibly I'll send that beyond that event, but I'm going to try for this event. Well, today we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King. This feast was instituted by Pope Pius XI in the first half of the 20th century in response to the fact that more and more nations in the world were embracing the idea that religion should be a merely private and individual affair and should have no bearing on the public, social, and political life of the nation. So today we as a church all across the world recognize Christ as our King, not only in our individual, personal lives, but also in the public lives of our respective nations. And this is what we refer to as Jesus's social kingship. Jesus's social kingship is, in fact, a kingdom of life and goodness and justice. This kingdom can't remain within the boundaries of our own private lives. It is a kingdom that demands to be spread into the broader society in which we live. And we as disciples of Jesus are the ones responsible for doing just this. Now, as members of a democratic republic, one of the most important ways we advance the social kingship of Christ is by participating in the electoral process. And so tonight I'd like to talk to you about some principles by which a Christian conscience should exercise its right to vote. So the first principle, in our voting we must ask ourselves which candidate will be best for the common good of society, the common good of society. The common good is defined as, and I'm quoting body on space from the Second Vatican Council, quote, the sum total of social conditions which allow people, either as groups or as individuals, to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily, unquote. So the sum total of social conditions, this embraces a wide range of concerns, and I'll list just a few. National and international peace, education and public safety, the poor and homeless, health care and adequate housing, the elimination of racism and other forms of injustice and discrimination, the fostering of equality in the workplace, 
These concerns are Christ's concerns, as we can see from our gospel passage today, which focuses on the hungry, the stranger, the naked, the ill, the prisoner. Now, this is brings us to our second principle. There is something upon which all of these social issues depend. And that something is something more fundamental than all of them, and that is simply human life. Without human life, there's no sense in talking about education and healthcare and other things of that nature. Human society has to exist first before we can talk about improving its conditions. And this is why St. John Paul II wrote, quote, the common outcry, which is justly made on behalf of human rights, for example, the right to health, to home, to work, to family, to culture, is false and illusory if the right to life, the most basic and fundamental rights, and the condition for all other personal rights is not defended with maximum determination. Unquote. Thus, the right to life is the most fundamental human right, the right upon which are based all other human rights. And this brings us to the third point. Closely connected to the right of life are questions concerning marriage and family. Just as human society presupposes and depends upon human life, so also human society depends upon marriage and family, which are the basic building blocks of society and its source and foundation. Therefore, the so-called marriage equality movement is fundamentally at odds with the common good of society. Marriage cannot be reduced to a, a mere romantic relationship between two or more partners regardless of their sex. Marriage is a single lifelong partnership between a man and a woman whose sexual complementarity alone can bring into existence in human life. Moreover, every child has the right to be raised by a mother and a father whose marital union alone can provide for the child all the psychological, moral, and spiritual support it needs to grow up to be a healthy human being. And in connection with this issue, I highly recommend uh, looking into an important conference that was just uh, recently hosted by the Vatican. It's called Humana. And so if you go to YouTube and you just type in Humana, it's start like human with a U and an M on it. Humana is a Latin word. So you can find there some very excellent talks by Jewish scholars, Protestant scholars, Catholic scholars, uh, an interreligious uh, conference, international conference, and it promotes uh, the, the complementary sexes and the importance of marriage. It's a very, very beautiful thing. In fact, there are these educational movies associated with it, which are beautiful, and, and I was I was bawling my eyes out because they're so well done and so artistic. So I highly recommend you uh, check that out. And at this conference, uh, Pope Francis said, well, we know that today marriage and family are in crisis. We now live in a culture of the temporary, in which more and more people are simply giving up on marriage as a public commitment. This revolution in manners and morals has often flown the flag of freedom, but in fact it has brought spiritual and material devastation in countless human beings especially the poorest and the most vulnerable. Evidence is mounting that the decline of the marriage culture is associated with increased poverty 
and a host of other social ills disproportionately affecting women, children, and the elderly. It is always they who suffer the most in this crisis, unquote. So coming to our fourth principle, simply stated, social issues concerning the defense of human life and the promotion of marriage and the family are the most fundamental issues. They need to be priorities for us when fulfilling our community votes. There is no element of the common good, such as adequate health care or equality in the workplace, that could justify voting for a candidate who also endorses without restriction or limitation things like abortion, embryonic stem cell research, euthanasia, or same-sex marriage. These issues are so fundamental to the common good that they cannot be subordinated to any other element of the common good. And so, going to our final points, there's an important question that we should address that I think our consciences frequently encounter when we're deciding on which candidates to vote for. What if all of the candidates embrace something, some gravely uh, evil thing such as abortion? What do we do then? Well, notice that when I uh, spoke about a hypothetical candidate who endorses abortion, I qualified his endorsement with the phrase without restriction or limitation. So, faced, this is important here, so faced with this situation, someone might be tempted not to vote at all. And, and that's not the right answer, actually. The decision not to vote at all fails to take responsibility for the advancement of the common good which we're all obliged to do. Therefore, if there are only two candidates who both support some intrinsically great people like abortion, but one supports it only in a limited fashion, such as, for example, abortion in the first and second trimester, trimester but not the third, we should vote for the one with a limited approach to abortion. This would at least reduce the number of abortions and it's very clear for us in our conscience we have to know that we're not choosing here the lesser evil, but rather we're limiting all the evil we are able to limit in the here and now. So my brothers and sisters, in closing, all of us have a serious responsibility to vote according to a conscience that is in alignment with the man and the moral law. Thereby we will further the social kingship of Christ in the world. A kingship of life and goodness and justice. We must always keep in mind the needs of Christ's brothers, the stranger, the poor, hungry, and homeless, and in a special way, the elderly and terminally ill, the unborn, and children in general. Let us work for and promote their good, so that on the day of judgment we might hear Christ our Lord say to us that when we defended them and promoted their good, 